When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coaches, today before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, CoachPad. Uh, no matter if you draw scout cards by hand or use a program on your computer, CoachPad will give you back time by never stuffing a binder again before heading out to practice. First 13.3-inch electronic device allowing coaches to clearly display scout cards outdoors in the sun has been a game changer for programs this past fall and those currently playing all across the country. This new technology allows coaches to coach and not the monotonous task of stuffing and dealing with binders on the practice field. Check out the Coach Pad and Coach Pad Mini on thecoachpad.com. Please make sure you check out our sponsors, our affiliates, and here is another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Um, today we have a friend of the channel, um, Coach Kelly Lee. Um, since last talking, he has become the head football coach at uh, Brownsville Veterans Memorial High School uh, down there in the great state of Texas. Um, coach, how are you doing? Doing good. And thank you for having me back on, Nick. I appreciate it. No, no problem, Coach. No problem. Um, like I said, we I, I had you on, and then you did. I got you on our state clinic when we did the virtual clinic, and. Um, it's good to have you back. And then obviously you've gone from division two college football to high school, Texas high school football, which is probably, I mean, it's virtual um, borderline college football as it is as well. It's a different animal. Um, but how has that transition been from, I mean, you were a high school coach, then you coached college and now you're going, now you're back and, and had a pretty good, good first year there. How's that transition back to high school football been? It's pretty, pretty smooth. It, it's a lot more similarities than, than people would probably notice. Um, I think football is football and, and the way you go about it, uh, and the way you approach things and building a team are very similar. So all that stuff carried over. Uh, obviously, there's some different things, the way, you, the way you practice, you know, some of our guys had to play both ways, you know, and so you got to carve out time so they're getting their offense and their defensive work and things like that. And, um, but I'm blessed here. I inherited a a really good staff was able to bring in a couple guys in, but some really great coaches that are veteran coaches. And um, in a lot of ways, you have you got more support, you know, as a Texas high school coach uh, staff-wise than maybe you do as a Division two coach, you know, because you're having to rely on a lot of uh, graduate assistants and guys that um, are just learning, you know, coaching. Although some of them are very talented and are going to go on and be great coaches. The fact is they're, they're new and, you're, you know, everybody's been coaching for 10, 15, 20 years. So, um, very lucky and fortunate, and that helped out a lot. Now, now, also with that, I mean, you are kind of somewhat of an anomaly in the state of Texas. Let's just be honest. Um, when you when you think Texas high school football, the first thought is not flexbone or triple or any of the, or even anything under center. Like right. outside of maybe like some of the slot T stuff, but that's still not massively overly prevalent there. What has it been like to be the the triple team in Texas and 
how have your kids adjusted to it from going from the spread to the triple and kind of your league approach that? Well, I think, you know, for my kids, you know, I think the help that we had some success, they were coming off of a year where um, they hadn't had success. Although the program had traditionally been successful it was a COVID year, they're down two and five, um, you know, and, and maybe in the spread, some of the kids weren't in situations where uh, they were at their best position to be successful. So I think the fact that we were able to put them in places where they could do the things we're asking them to do, and we initially had some success, I think that that got a lot of buy-in, you know, and, and the people like to win and you get those wins, the kids get excited about it. And now, now our kids are all in, you know, and, and we've got a lot of time to work in the off season. We're able to fortune up in Texas to get a chance to do spring football. So we've got 18 practices in the spring and we get an hour in the summer, we can work skills. So you know, our quarterbacks are reading and, and pitching and our guys understand, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. And, and so, you know, that helps. And as far as the teams we played, uh, there's been some teams down here um, in the Rio Grande Valley that run the flex phone. So um, that helped us uh, because we were able to get some of those films and see how they like to defend it. Um, it probably helped the defense too, because they had some familiarity with it. I think what helped us a little bit is that we throw the ball a little bit more and we're probably a little more perimeter oriented than those teams were. So the way that they 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 kind of come accustomed to defending it uh, lent it to us being able to do some of the things we like to do. Mm -hmm. um, so that helped. But I, I'm sure we'll see some different looks out of the defenses this year as they've seen how our version of the flex ball um, is a little bit different than what they've seen in the past around there. Now, kind of building off that, and we'll kind of hit a couple of things. And I talked to you briefly about it before we started. I mean – Obviously, I follow you on Twitter, and I think a lot of coaches do, especially ones that will listen to this. But, I mean, I've seen some of the stuff you and other people, I think I think one or two of your staff members have, like, retweeted about your weight room and your on-the-field work. And it looks like you've got you – kind of you mentioned a great buy-in. Like, you've had really good numbers. Most looks It looks like for me. Um, how, how much, in terms of that weight room, how much stuff did you bring from college? Like, I mean, you're not going to bring necessarily every lift that you did in college then because, obviously, different level of experience different level of various things. Um, but how, how have you changed the weight room there? This is speed development, because I know some stuff there, especially like jumping hurdles and so forth. How has that overhaul been this from this calendar, over this calendar year? Well, I think uh, some of the stuff we were doing is different. And I think the kids like that. Um, the fact that maybe it's some stuff that they've seen people do before they were able to buy in. But we really tried to do all the same lifts that we've done in college. The only thing different is we we really spend a lot of time breaking down technique. Um, so with our Olympic lifts, spectacularly in the overhead stuff like the snatch and that stuff, we we got a bunch of PVC pipes. Our physical plant was able to cut them in eight foot sections. You know, we got our guys on those doing overhead squats, snatch press balance, snatches, and really learned how to do those lifts. You know, with with no weight, um, and that was good for technique, but it was also great for mobility. It was really dynamic flexibility. Um, which we know that a lot of high school kids, especially the big boys, your offensive line and the, the hip and the knee and the ankle flexibility, um, you know, that's a, even as college freshmen, our strength coaches would always have to spend a lot of time on. And so we attacked that right away in our offseason. And we would we would get on those PVCs and spend some time after workout. We might have a, you know, a big squat and clean, and then we might spend 20 minutes on those PVCs. Um, learning the different lifts and and then we graduated to the bar you know and then now you know at the point where you know we've got weight on the bar and we're, we're doing those lifts so um, a very similar weight program a little bit more emphasis on on, on the core uh, maybe strength movements like squat and bench because 
you, you know, you have to get strong because some of those other lifts don't matter if you don't have that base core. Um, mm -hmm. So we wanted to get strong. We wanted to be able to head keep squat and, and then move into our Olympic lifts. But uh, really the same lifts, just with a lot less weight, you know, and really spending a lot of time on technique. Now, the other thing you mentioned there a little bit earlier was the practice different from high school to college. Like college, obviously, you have the luxury of recruiting your talent and, okay, you're recruited for offense, you're recruited for defense, and so forth. So right. you have enough guys. You typically guys both ways. The only kind of um, conversion is special teams typically. High school, even at big schools, sometimes your best kid just going to play both ways. Right. He's just he's just he's too big of an impact player. And I had a conversation with the Division One coach here, a high school coach here in Ohio, and he kind of built the same same thing. Like we got to, we got to build depth, and we got. I mean, sometimes your best kids either going to be first string both sides or first and second string in case somebody goes down. Um, one, how have you built depth, and then two. How have you had to modify your schedule from college to high school? Because um, obviously there, there are, as you mentioned, kind of some differences there with those kids who go both ways. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things is we kind of broke our kids up in a few ways. One was we had offensive players and defensive players. And those are guys, for whatever reason, they're just going to play one side of the ball. Maybe they're not as good on the other side. Maybe they're uh, a lineman that can't move well enough to be a D lineman, whatever reason. And then we had guys that we were a primary offense or primary defensive player. So they're going to focus on one side, but they have a, a secondary position. And then our third group were our guys that were true two-way players. You know, those guys that are going to be on the field, maybe starting both ways, taking a big load. And, uh, and so then when we built our practice, you know, we had time for offense, defense, and then, and then our, our primary guys would go that way. And then we would have to work, the coordinators would have to work together to share those guys what do, what do they need to get here, there, so they get both. And then we would have what we call team pods at the end of our practice, last 30 minutes where we would go offense and defense break up totally separate. So we would do group work. You know, we might have some offense, defense, envy, and then a period where we're just going out to, to offense and defense. So I would say for a lot of our practice, it was all just segmented. We're doing offense, we're doing defense. And the last 30 minutes of our practice was like a, a college practice where you had a separate offense and defense, if that makes sense. And, and I think that helped us a lot. I think it was good for us too. Um, we got a lot of buy-in from the staff because we made our coaches learn both sides of the ball. So you might be the starting secondary coach, you might be the DB coach, but you're kind of the assistant wide receiver coach. Because yeah. I didn't know when I got the staff where everybody was going to fit. I knew I was going to bring some guys in. We were going to retain a lot of guys. So as we were implementing, we taught them everything so that we could fit them in the spots to have the best possible staff. Well, because they had to learn everything and the, the kids saw them working both sides of the ball and then the kids were doing it, it got some buy-in there. I think it was good. And, uh, I, I, you know, we're in a situation where we could probably have 22 different kids start, but we're not to where we have two different two deeps. You know, there's a big, if we didn't, if our offensive guys didn't play defense and our defensive guys didn't play offense, our drop off from our starter to our backup would be significant and, and would put us in a disadvantage. So we knew our kids were going to have to, even if they weren't only a, a, a reserve on one side of the ball, they needed to be ready to go. And then the season goes and you have injuries and things and you're moving people around, they already know the scheme. You're not, all right, you're moving them up from offense to defense and it's, they're going in cold turkey you know what i mean they knew the fundamentals they knew the base defense and the base offense they had to get ready for the game plan that week and get the reps 
that they weren't starting from from ground zero. And and I think that's helped us in the offseason when you naturally get to the end of the year, you make some moves, some guys go offense to defense, vice versa. They've got a background. So um, I think it's been helpful. I think it built team morale. I think it built unity and, and teamwork and and uh, and it helped that we had a lot of buy-in from our coaches. Good. Now, now the next question I have for you is because obviously – I mean, you've ran this offense at high school, so this is this might be a redundant question, but you were able to put a lot of. I mean, you're able to do a little bit more at college than you are. I mean, and part of that is just athletic skill. I mean, you yeah. just. Um, how much has that going back to high school? Did that change maybe your install process or what you were able to install compared to what you did at uh, Eastern New Mexico? Yeah, we probably, especially the first year, we installed much slower. Um, and probably was too fast at that. If I could go back and do it again, we'd probably even do it even slower. Because um, sometimes it felt like the kids had something and we would go to something new and then they would mess up what we had. You know what I mean? And, and so, um, but, you know, now being the second year, I think we're moving along a little faster on our installs for the spring and the summer. But yeah, definitely you're not going to get as much in as you did in college going on. You know, you don't have as many good players, obviously. Um, but the, the bigger thing is because our kids have to play both ways, you don't have as much time with them. Um, so, you know, we scale back, but we got basically all of our, our primary concepts in. We don't have as many of the tags, maybe as many of the wrinkles, maybe as many formations, um, and, and a few, maybe a few less complimentary plays. Um, but I, I would say if you saw us play um, on Saturday at Eastern New Mexico or Friday night here at Brownsville Veterans, it would look very much similar. Okay. I was, I was just curious, like, because obviously you've done it long enough that, I mean, you're installed, you're installed at this point for, for that. I'm I also just curiosity building off of that is how much does your install order change year from year? Does it change at all? Like, because obviously, you know, like when I was, when I was at Fairborn, like we knew out of the wing team, we were going to be a belly team. We had too good of a right. fullback. Um, we weren't going to be as big as a, a jet team that second year with with Randy because I mean we had a really good fullback we're going to hit belly really hard instead of trying to hit jet is it does that change a lot like there or does the install process stay the same but you know you're probably going to major and in, say inside beer instead of outside beer or or belly g or whatever it is yeah we have a basic install that we've probably had for the last 20 years but I'll say this I don't think from year to year spring to spring we've followed it exactly that way ever We've always tweaked at something because um, maybe we felt like we needed to be better at running the option. So we might slow down and maybe we put an option first, but we don't put anything else in for two or three days. Or, uh, you know, maybe our counter ice or counter trade, our counter game needed to improve. So that spring, it bumped up and we got it in second or third practice instead of six or seven. Um, so stuff like that. I know like this summer, we installed, we usually install the triple first and then midline and mid-triple. This summer, we installed midline and mid-triple first just because our backside linemen kind of would get it in their head that they always scooped on the backside. And because, you know, the first three or four plays we put in, triple, belly, they were scooping. And then we'd get to midline, and we couldn't break them. I'm like, no, this is a gap, a different blocking scheme. So we put midline in first just so that the first thing that they would see on the backside is not scooping. Um, so they kind of to get them out of that mindset that I always scoop on the backside. So things like that from year to year um, have always changed. And then we always kind of look at our personnel and what's with the personnel we have coming back, what part of the offense do we think is going to be good? 
and, and where are we going to stress? And then if we're going to stress something, we're going to try to get a lot of reps early on it. And also, what we might need to be deficient at that we maybe we're not going to be as good at, but we still need to function. And we're going to get a lot of work on that because we know we need more work on it. So we always weigh those kind of things and, and tweak it. But like I said, we have a master assertion schedule. We just kind of move things around you know, from here to here, but I'd say that the same things we're going to get in in the first seven to eight practices are always going to be the same things. It just might be in different order. And in high school here, uh, things we might got in in five practice in the college, it might take us eight or nine to get in. You know, it's just a little bit slower, but primarily the same order um, for the most part. Now, at the same time, like, obviously, your freshman JVs, varsity all running your triple. How much control do you have down or do you choose to have control down through maybe your youth or your middle school? How much, how, how far do you send that down? And say in both offensively and defensively, how, how, how deep does your install and what your, what, what you want your younger parts of your program to do? Yeah, we've got control. We've got one feeder mid school. So we've got control over that. They have a seventh grade, an A and a B team, and an eighth grade A and a B team. So what we do is both with our offense and defense, we've got a list of things we want them to run as seventh graders. And then it expands a little bit as eighth graders. And then our freshman coaches have an expanded list. And then our JV pretty much should be able to run what the varsity does, except they're not going to have the tags and stuff because they're not going to get as much prep time because a lot of their time they're servicing, they're running scout for for varsity, you know what I mean? So, um, but we feel like they can handle pretty much, but it, it just, just like you would a curriculum in, in school, it's a little bit more each year. It builds off, uh, like for instance, in seventh grade, we don't run the two triple option. We run the zone dive. We run a, a card pool where they call it. And then we run speed option. And that's kind of our option game as, and then as eighth graders, we'll let them start reading it. You know what I mean? And, and so forth, just a progression like that. And, and same thing with our defense, like, um, we're a three, three, five team. So like our seventh graders, they might bring double edge pressure from both sides. And then as eighth graders, they might be able to call it from the field or the boundary or the strong or the weak side. Seventh grade, we just call it, they both know they're running it, a double dog. Eighth graders, they can run a strong dog or a wheel dog or a field dog or a boundary dog. And then it just grows, same thing. Um, and we've got that lined out and that's something we went over with our, with our staffs and it's just kind of a, uh, alignment for our schemes and it's something that we looked at a little bit and because this was our first year and we tweaked a little bit for the second year maybe this was a little too much maybe we we didn't give them enough credit we needed to do more um and so some i'm sure we'll tweak a little bit every year for a few years till we get it just right okay now speaking of that i mean when you're talking to your middle school coaches how often do you try to meet with them i mean obviously there's probably some turnover there like most states there is Middle school is usually one of the hardest things to fill, unfortunately, yeah. it, even though it's so necessary and so important to the future of your program. Um, how often do you meet with them and discuss and not only go, obviously schemes a big part of it, but kind of your expectations and culture and everything else? Well, we one thing we do is we try to include our seventh and eighth graders in our summer program. So we get those kids up with us. So they kind of go through it. And, and we invite the junior high coaches to come up and, and be there, be a part of that. Um, they're not, they, they have a little bit of obligation to run some summer rec and stuff at their campus. And so they kind of do the same thing with the fifth graders and sixth graders. So they're kind of prepping them and we're kind of prepping their kids for them. 
and uh, our and our freshman coaches will kind of take the lead on that because we'll break up older kids, younger kids. So our freshman coaches are kind of coaching down to the seventh and eighth graders, which is good because it kind of helps everything be aligned. And then what we'll do is we'll have a camp uh, late in the summer. We'll get a whole staff out with them and and help them get going. And then we we try to have a meeting uh, in the spring with our coaches to go over scheme that, and then another one right before a couple of days of meetings with them right before to, to clear up anything that they might have. Um, so we have, we have some time we carve out to clinic with them, um, go over things. And then some time with the, their kids are actually just with us working with us. Yeah. Okay. So we did it a couple of different ways. No, yeah, it's good. Cause I, I'm always wondering how, how other coaches do things relative compared to what we're doing, obviously, but also just trying to look for, okay, how do you best involve your, middle school because you I mean again it's kind of the lifeblood of where you're going um so that's that's always that aspect of it now I mean kind of kind of continuing with the the, the triple and, and so forth um obviously and, and I'll put this in the bio I mean you have a bunch of resources that you've posted on coach tube and you've done stuff with me before um and a variety of other resources but I mean from Pete for especially high school coaches looking to transition from maybe the spread to the triple what 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 suggestions or recommendations do you have um for those coaches well i think if you're going to do it you got to commit to doing it um you know i think i think a lot of people want to do it and then they kind of just dabble in it and you're not gonna you're not gonna spend the time necessary to to be good at the things you need to be good at you know i think if you're going to do it you need to commit to it you need to go out visit with people and, and, and not just the stuff like, you know, like, like you said, I have a lot of stuff on the internet and that stuff's great. And there's a lot of other stuff out there, but I think it's important to go watch people practice, see how they're coaching stuff, you know, get out in spring and, and, and go out and see them do things. Cause I think you, you, you get a feel for it that way. And, uh, um, you know, I talk to multiple different people. I think sometimes people, when they jump into new systems, they want to just focus on one thing like ours, oh, the ground strike or, you know, they go to this college and they learn, or they go to this wing T guru and learn, or this air raid guru. And, and what you see, if you go out to see a lot of people, everyone faces different issues. And I see things in the flex phone that we dealt with five, six years ago and have overcome things. Someone else might be having that problem now. Vice versa, they've already dealt with things we've never seen. So by going out and seeing how you handle those things that you might see in the future, you stay one step ahead. You know what I mean? So I always encourage people, visit with a lot of different people. Don't get dogmatic and say, hey, we're just going to run the ground strike flex bone or the, the um, we're just going to run the Harding, Kenny Wheaton flex bone or we're just going to be exactly like Navy. You know what I mean? Go out and watch them all, learn from all and steal ideas that fit what you're trying to do and what you can do with your kids and just get a good, well-rounded base of, of the knowledge of what it takes to run this scheme, uh, and I think that helps a lot. Is when you when you get that broad idea, go out and see some things, and because some people may coach it, and it, it it's probably great, but it might not resonate with you. You know, and you hear someone else, you see someone else does it, and it resonates. And anytime you're doing something new, finding a way that you can wrap your brain around it, it makes sense to you that you're going to be able to coach, and then more importantly, correct when those time comes, you're going to be okay. I always say, coach what you can fix. You know what I mean? If you can coach a scheme and you can fix the problems, you're going to be successful. If you're coaching a scheme and problems come up and you don't have an idea how to fix it, then you're going to struggle. So, um, you know, however it resonates with you, follow that path, grab from other people. And then, you know, once you commit to it, you got to go all in. 
Okay. Now, now kind of continuing with that it, and, and figuring out how much do you do pod and group work and practice? Like, I, I, I think, I think that's where one of the biggest places high school coaching has changed tremendously is it used to be, you have Indy, you have seven on seven, you have inside run and you have team. That, that used to be pretty much just your practice. But I think, a lot, I think high school coaches have started getting better. Okay. Indy. Okay. Here's half line. Here's pod work for this, or we're at three pods going at once. You're working tackles and receivers on screen work. You're vice versa. You, you get the gist. How much pod work and various pod work and group work do you do during your typical high school practice? Yeah, we're a big group and pod team. We do, we don't do a lot of indie. We have a little bit of indie. Um, our offensive line gets more indie because they're, but um, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of pod and a lot of group work. Um, our quarterbacks get very little indie. Our slot running backs hardly ever get indie. Um, you know, I mean, I should say, I mean, they get five or 10 minutes, but you know, um, they don't get those 15, 20 minute days of individual. It's just not going to happen because we're doing so much group. We, we do, we do half line every day. We're going to do pods, which sometimes are center bag running backs working midline. Sometimes it's tackle slots working combinations. And sometimes it's just a half line setup that we're running real fast against every look we could see. Um, and just the sheer amount of reps we can get, you know, there's certain plays that we don't ever rep in team. We only rep in pods, you know, um, our belly play is one of our base plays and we very, very rarely rep it in a team segment. Maybe, you know, down we have a goal line segment or a short yardage segment, five, 10 minutes, we'll get a couple belly calls, but we get 60, 70, 80 belly reps a week in our pods. And, and, and we've gotten to pretty much where we just have a list of pods and we do them every week and that's how we get ready to prepare. Um, and that's good because it gets us ready for what we think we're going to see. And it also gives us time to work against everything. Um, so, you know, when someone throws something, if we think we're getting odd and they throw a 4-3 and even from at us, we've worked it that week. Um, also, I think it's good because it builds your ability to go against all fronts as the year goes. Because sometimes we noticed we would catch like maybe a 4-2-5 for three or four weeks in a row, and then we had to play an odd front. Well, if we just prepared for that 4-2-5, then that was, you know, you're getting ready for the odd. But because in the pods, even if we think we're going to see an even front, we're working odd every every week. All of a sudden, you see a, a five two or five three stack or something. You've you've repped it every week. You've gotten a few reps, so, so the kids are already good against executing that. So I think that helps, and that helps you be ready for anything you see. Helps you be ready for future opponents, and it helps you grow from year to year as well because your kids have seen everything. Every time they do this play, they see all the ropes. So um, a huge proponent of the pods. Now, can I, can I continue with that? Because you said, obviously, different looks. I think from my opinion, this, and this could be a wrong opinion, but colleges, even though they're not familiar with the flex bone and are probably going to put in a week, the defense of the week, quote, unquote, um, are, I think they're a little more sound when they're doing the defense of the week. Whereas when you see it in high school, obviously, some teams will have option rules building their defense and some minor adjustments, and they're pretty good. Other schools that don't have that in will give you like what I call a junk defense of the week. Yeah. How, how, I mean, how do you kind of prep for that scenario? Obviously, your option rules should take care of a lot of that. But from a line and, and running back and quarterback perspective, how do you prepare for that just when you get that random every four weeks, that random trash defense? Yeah, we don't spend a lot of time prepping for them because they're so unique. You know what I mean? 
the one we probably put that for is the Bermite, you know, which we, we call the seven diamond because you know, we yeah. figure the seven of the guys are run players, you know what I mean? But it's the Bermite. So we'll spend some time prepping for that because um, we'll see that occasionally. The other junk ones we usually see are so unorthodox. I, I don't know how we would simulate them, but we do have some things we'll do. One of the first things we'll do is we'll balance up and go um, to our wide sets, which is two wides in a slot. And we're going to run our motion and probably freeze and try to figure out who's got the high quarterback and pitch. You know what I mean? And, and because we feel like we've run the scheme enough, once we've determined that, we know who they put at an advantage and which of their players maybe they put at a disadvantage and, and use whatever it is way to attack that. Um, so that's one way is just try to decipher what, how, they're, how they're defending it out of that jump defense. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to go to some oversets. Um, and for us, that could be a, an X over. It could be a tackle over. Um, we have sets where we have a tight end and then trips to that side or a tight end wing and twins to that side. Because a lot of times those, those formations, those jump defense, those rules don't hold up when you start doing that. Um, and sometimes we'll start shifting to that and, and flopping maybe two-man shifts into those things, get into quads, basically. And, and a lot of times they just don't hold up. You know, they may have come up with something good against your base stuff but they're not real sound against those things. And so we're going we're gonna to make sure that that junk defense is going to be able to align to a variety of formations. And if we find one, if they're not sound to, we're going we're gonna to attack that. Okay. Now, now the, the one other thing I want to hit on before we go, and I want to kind of come back to something you kind of talked about a little bit earlier, because uh, I always think it's an interesting point to ask other high school coaches. Um, when you, and you're, you got a little bit more benefit because of the resources in Texas. But when you're looking at hiring new staff members or when you got there and were hiring, what was that? What, what do you kind of look for? What do you kind of ask? What is kind of your meth mythology of bringing in coaches to, to your program? Uh, first and foremost is good people. I mean, that's, that's probably the number one thing. I, I've, I've been around some really good coaches that maybe weren't, didn't have the highest integrity or, or weren't the best people. And, and, even though they're great coaches, that stuff will, will affect your team. It'll affect your staff morale. So um, first of all, I want to hire people that are uh, have good integrity, uh, good people. Um, I want to hire coaches that are going to build relationships with the kids. You know what I mean? Because, you know, if you build that relationship, the kids are going to learn from you. You know what I mean? You, again, you can know a lot of football. And if you don't have a relationship, the kids probably aren't going to trust. They're not going to learn. You know what I mean? So good people, guys that are going to build good relationships. And then I want to see how are they going to fit on the staff? Are they going to get along with everyone? You know, how, how's that our, our staff um, chemistry going to be? And then what do they fit as far as schemes? What's their knowledge, their background? I always feel like if they're a good person and, and they've got a decent football background, they're a good teacher, good coach, they could probably coach anything. You know, we can teach them what to coach, you know, so um, that's probably last on the list. But, you know, sometimes as you're putting your staff together, you're looking for specifically an O-line guy or a DB guy or something like that. But I would say uh, integrity and uh, ability to be a good relationships and be a good teacher. That's the first three things. If they can do that, we can find a place for them. They'll be successful within our system. All right, Coach. Well, coaches, um, make sure you – his Twitter will be in the bio. Make sure you give him a follow. Um, I'll have the link to the other podcast we did with Coach. I'll have a link to his Coach Tube. Make sure you check that stuff out if you're looking for anything specifically with his offense. Um, he's got he's got an abundant number of videos, and they're all all pretty dang good. Um, like, share, subscribe, all that lovely jazz. 
Uh, check our sponsor, Coach Pad, as usual. Um, and then that's another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Nick.